Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 424 with Jeremy Kubitschek. We are talking about how to multiply your leadership. Jeremy's got some great tools and metaphor and deep wisdom from having done this many times with many people. So you'll learn one, tools for being the best Sherpa for your team, like the support challenge matrix. Two, pro tips for better supporting and challenging yourself and others. And three, critical expectations that really do need to be spelled out. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, you'll find it over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep424. Now here's Jeremy's story. Jeremy Kubitschek is a thought leader who specializes in transformational leader development. He is CEO of Giant TV and chairman and co-founder of Giant Worldwide, where he helps people grow through powerful content across the globe. Additionally, Jeremy is the best-selling author of Making Your Leadership Come Alive, together with Steve Cochran. He's the author of Five Voices and Five Gears. So thanks to Jeremy for spending some time with us, and thanks to our sponsors check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no. No. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours, and small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here is Jeremy. Jeremy, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Oh, so good to be with you, Pete. Thank you for the time. Oh, well, thank you for the time. I mean, it's a really big day for you in, in the book <laughs> launch process. Tell us what's going on. You just hit number one in your Amazon category, which is cool. Congratulations. Thank you. I know. It's uh, really fun. Yeah. What, what have you been up to and what's the, the secret to your success here in this book promotion? I've done a lot of different books. Uh, my background in history, I used to run a lot of leadership businesses. So I was always the background guy for a number of years. And so the corner office guy, right, who did big events, leader cast, catalyst, worked with John Maxwell and Henry Cloud and these different thought leaders and so on and so forth. I've been writing my own books for the last, I don't know, seven, eight years. And one, you build a following. But what we've done is we basically have built a leadership summit. And that's been really interesting. It's actually worked where we built a free two and a half hour event that anyone in the world can use with their teams. And it's just driven a lot of appreciation because it's adding a lot of value to people mm -hmm. uh, more than just a book to go. No, this is a, a thought and uh, take the thought and work it into your system. So that's been our research and it's actually played out really nicely. Oh, that's cool. So is that sort of like buy the book and you get the, the free access to the event or the video? Yes, and or the opposite, you know, do the event and books come with it. So it's either way. Uh, and so a lot of teams okay. are, are working okay. with that. And so then we have a lot of our own consultants or coaches or people that, that like to uh, want to draw people. They can actually put on the event 
and bring it in for their own networking or what have you. And then the book is basically what they, the participant gets when they come. That's cool. Well, clever, clever. It's, uh, <laughs> I don't know how many listeners care about uh, book promotions, but I sure do. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> I know. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess what I'm trying to underscore here is you were in the thick of it and uh, we appreciate you taking the time. So yeah, thank you. That's awesome. Thank you. So your book here, The 100X Leader, or do you pronounce it internally in your head, 100 times leader? No, I, I say 100x. You, say x. you, you said right. that right. Yeah. Uh, it still means the same thing. Times and x. Uh-huh. It's multiplication. Uh, that reminds me of my, my consulting days. We'd always talk about 3xing the revenue or yes. something. Yes. Not three, not three timesing or tripling. But yes. so, so what's the big idea behind this book? The big idea is that in our world system, we don't have enough of the right kind of leader. We have a lot of leaders but leadership is not equal. All leaders are not equal. And that jargon of leadership, it means too many different things. It's too generic. And so we basically broke it down and said, you know, a 100X leader is someone who's trending to be a healthy person. They're healthy emotionally, physically, mentally, a kind of more well-rounded person. And they're heading in that direction. And they've acclimated to enough to such a degree that they then can X or multiply themselves. Most leaders that we find are either 60 negative or 75 plus. So they're jaded and they show up at work and they're living accidentally and everyone around them kind of gets the life sucked out of them when they're around those people. Or there's the 75 plus leader that's generally healthy and they'll add value if you come to them and they're like, yeah, yeah, sure. What do you need? I'll help you but they're not intentionally looking to take people to the next level. And these numbers, this 60 negative and 75 plus, can, can you orient me? Is there a ratio or a numerator or denominator? What's the number pointing to? Well, it's an overall, it's almost like, what do you think of that movie? One through 10, your view of a movie and my view of the movie, you might call it an eight and I might give it a six. So it's a little subjective, but it's the construct of going, are you healthy? Are you moving in the healthy? So then we break it down in the book. There's five circles of influence. There's self, family, team, organization, and community. So what's interesting about it is that we find that most leaders haven't done the hard yards to look at themselves in the mirror and go, how am I doing in each category? Because most people think of leadership only in the team construct. We said, no, no, no. What about self and leading yourself? That is a leadership opportunity. What about your family and leading there? What about in the community? So there's other categories of leadership. So I could be, for instance, uh, 60% to myself. Maybe I dominate myself. Maybe I speak over myself negative words. And maybe I subtract. So I'm 60 negative in the self circle. To my family, maybe I'm 70% and plus. So in each category, we're basically using the idea of 100x to say, how healthy are you? Now, we have some tests in the book. We have certain things where you can actually test yourself and rank yourself and come up with your number and what you think. Oh, okay. That's the general idea of it. So when you say 60 negative, these are kind of like two things here. It's a 60 on the zero to 100 scale and it's a negative in the health. It's negative in your influence. So X means multiplication of your influence. How influential are you? Do people want to follow you or do they have to follow you? And so the idea is if I am a hundred X leader, I'm someone that people want to follow because I'm intentionally multiplying myself. I'm bringing the best that I have to help other people become the best they can be. And that's what usually breaks down in most of the leaders that we run into in organizations are just waking up in the morning. They maybe have gotten beaten down to such a degree 
so that anyone who comes in contact with them, their multiplication is they're, they're multiplying negative. They're not multiplying positive. Okay. So I'm going to be I'm hung up on your figures here, but let me nail this down. Okay. So you're saying that we take a, a good look at these five key areas, the self-family, team, organization, and community, and say, how you doing? Zero to hundred in terms of just kind of what's the the performance level there. And then we have a, a negative influence in terms of kind of how other people are, are picking up on that vibe from you, or a positive influence if it's a, it's a happy vibe, or a multiplicative influence in the terms of, of they are now equipped to to do all the more is that fair yeah are you intentionally multiplying your skills knowledge and wisdom into those that you're leading mm-hmm. or you could be on the other end of the spectrum of dividing uh, i'm gonna give you an example this week i was working with a uh, public company the executive team working with the ceo helping this person uh, understand himself and this person the ceo is really really getting into it and understanding huh i can't give what i don't possess so am i healthy as a person and as a leader so he's moving that direction. And I'm giving him tools, which are laced throughout the book, to help him become 100% or move in that direction. So his trajectory is good. But then we started looking at his executive team. And as I gave him the numbers to play with, he was ranking his own team going, you know, I think so-and-so as at a, I'll just make up names so that if anyone's listening, uh, I think Bob is at a 70. I think there's some things in his life that's kind of keeping him. I think Lisa, she might be at a 90. She's got, but Tom, Tom is really 40. And not only 40, I think he's divisive. Feels like he's against his own team. He's against us. He's accusing us. He's not bought in. He's not adding any value to the organization. So that concept of the 100X leader, it's really the idea of you becoming an intentional person and starting thinking about your own health and your own multiplication. And then we get into the use of the Sherpa, which we'll get into. But we give metaphors to help people understand the, the construct of it. Okay, I hear you there. And so then let's let's talk a little bit about the, the Sherpa. So you're using this as a metaphor of great leadership and, and why the Sherpa? Trying to explain this, like I'm doing here, is we basically said, let's, what is the metaphor? And, and at Giant, in our company, what we do is we take really complex ideas and make them simple enough because we realize that in organizations to spread, it needs to be uh, effective to the 13 year old. If a 13 year old will understand it, it will spread inside an organization. If a 13 year old can't get it, there'll be dead ends. So we create uh, objective common uh, language through visual tools. So the metaphor we used was Mount Everest, but specifically the Sherpa on Mount Everest, which is the people group of Mount Everest who were born at 14,000 feet. They basically are helping people get to the next level. So they're synonymous with leading people up the mountain. And so the idea is that most leaders think of leadership as like them climbing to the top and that that's leadership. I'm like, well, that's part of it. We want you to get acclimated so you can make it to the peak. But the process of leadership is not about you climbing the mountain. It's actually when you get back from the top, from the summit, and get back into base camp, three days from now, Pete, I'm going to give you three whiny people. And I need you to take these people up the mountain. So you've got to be 100%. You have to be acclimated like a Sherpa is to take people who may not be as acclimated as you are. And how do you help them get up to the next level? That is leadership. That is the success of a leader. 
It's not how many times you've peaked or summited. It's how many times you've helped other people summit. Okay. Well, so then can you walk us through in practice? How does one pull that off? Yeah. So, so to do that, if you're climbing a mountain, you need tools. If you're climbing Mount Everest, you need to have rope training. You need to have altitude training. You need to be able to uh, understand crampons and ice picks and ladders and so on and so forth. So we basically created these tools so that you could be a Sherpa. And the, our goal is to train people to be Sherpa, not the real Sherpa, but the figurative Sherpa. And so one of those tools is called the Sport Challenge Matrix. And so the idea of the Sport Challenge Matrix is that at all times you understand the people that you're leading. Do they need more support from you right now or do they need more challenge? Well, it's important for you to know your own tendencies first. A lot of people that we talk with, they're really good at providing challenge, but they're not very effective in providing uh, significant support. Or they could be the other end. They could be supporters. They bring a lot of support, but they don't bring enough challenge. So understanding what your own tendencies are and then understanding how the people that you lead, what do they need and what does support and challenge look like for them? So a Sherpa is always going, okay, my job is to fight for the highest possible good of those I lead. Do they know I'm for them? Do they think I'm against them or do they think I'm for myself? I've got to be for them for them to really respond to me. What's their tendency and how do they receive support and how do they receive challenge based on their personality, their wiring? Then my job is to see what they need, understand what's undermining their influence and help them get to the next level. So that's one example of getting people to the next level. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And so when you say support challenge matrix, I'm visualizing a two by two or what are, is the visual there? Yes, that's right. So you have two, so you've got a uh, high support, at the X and Y and low support, you have a high challenge and low challenge. So if you put those two together, then going, okay, the best leaders in the world calibrate high support and high challenge. We've called that verb is liberating. So to liberate, it means to provide and create a culture of growth and opportunity. If you bring high challenge with low support, that's a, a dominating tendency. Uh, there's fear-based manipulation, it's yelling. So that domination never produces empowerment. It usually always produces compliance. So then I lived, for instance, I lived in Russia for a few years back in the early 90s, and I had watched 70 years of domination. And I'll never forget, I was coming out of my flat and there was another apartment complex next to me. And this guy carries out the speaker, puts it over his head and slams it to the ground right by the trash. And it was really weird. And he gave this like real emotional. <laughs> and then there was a guy behind him and then another one. And I stood there and watched 120 people. I counted 120 people came and threw their speaker and slammed it and crushed it. I asked the guy, I was like, hey, what's going on here? What is this? And he says, he goes, this is the listening device from the communists. We're done. We're tired of it. And when he told me what it was is in each apartment complex, the government had put a listening device. It was a speaker in the kitchen of every apartment. And there was music playing 24-7. It was basically a big brother tactic that showed that we are always listening. And so they didn't know if they were or not. Whoa. So it's playing music and it's listening the whole time. That's right. Well, you didn't know if they were listening. It was a placebo type. I mean, you basically set it up so people didn't know. So it was fear-based. That's a lot of incoming information to process in those old days. <laughs> I know. So, yeah, I, yeah, that's what you think. There's 14 million listening devices yeah. and 14 million people. Surely you can't listen to all of them. 
but it didn't matter. It was the culture of fear and manipulation. So that culture of created domination, well, if you look at the workforce, and I'm not saying it is now, but back then, if you look at the workforce of the Russians, it was abdicating, it was compliance, it was do enough to not get sent to prison, do enough to not die, do enough to keep in the party line, and not empowerment. And so domination, high challenge without high support, produces abdication. Whereas a lot of cases, especially in the Midwest, East Coast is kind of known for that, high challenge, low support. In the Midwest, a lot of places are high support and low challenge. So it's kind of hinting a lot. The Minnesota nice, don't you know? Yeah. Hey, Pete, how's it going? <laughs> Big event next week. Are, you, are we ready for it? Hint, hint, hint. Meaning I have <laughs> expectations, but I'm not sharing them. I hope you just kind of get it. When you don't get it, then I come back to you. You know, Pete, you know, Janice, she kind of knows what I'm wanting. So I'm going to have Janice. And it feels kind of like condescension or it kind of feels like a mistrust or... So that high support with low challenge produces a weird entitlement culture. And we just kept watching this in our studies, in our work. I mean, we've been working in this for years of just inside companies going, no, these are cultures that are getting produced. And inside a culture, you could have a dominating culture with this team, an abdicating culture over here, a protecting culture over here, all these subcultures. And we just started watching that. And then the same thing happens in your personal life. It happens with your kids. I could dominate one of my kids, protect one of my kids, and be an abdicator to one of my kids all in one day. And that's yeah. what we're trying to get people to be aware of so that they can start leading themselves. And I guess I'm thinking of, of low support and, and low challenge. Um, it sounds kind of something like, you know, you're checked out. Absolutely. <laughs> you're not really paying much attention to what's going on. What do you call those? <laughs> yeah, abdicators. Yeah, so the abdicating culture. And, you know, there's a lot. And there's certain brands. Private equity has a perception of dominating culture. The post office has a perception of abdicating cultures. It's not that it they are, it's just there's a perception, you know, certain government entities, a lot of nonprofits, they have a protecting culture, the high support, low challenge. So what we're after is to go, what would it look like if we can break leadership down into bite-sized nuggets and give people some aspiration to go, no, 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 what would it look like for you to be 100% healthy and then multiply, like develop people? That's a liberating culture. That is what 100x leaders do. And that's what we're trying to do is break it down so it's palatable and applicable and you can do something with this tomorrow. Okay, that's cool. I guess what's resonating for me is thinking about entitlement in terms of I think I can have some of those tendencies with regard to to being supportive and, and not so challenging in, in the sense of, I don't know, how intensely I articulate what I expect and how what you've given me is unacceptable. Right. <laughs> you know, I, I guess I, I, I kind of uh, hold back a little bit in terms of, of what I'm really thinking at times because I don't want to be a total jerk face. But hey, maybe that's my Midwestern influence uh, up in there. <laughs> yeah. But see, if you know that about yourself and all of a sudden you start reflecting going, huh, I do that work. What about my partner, spouse? What about my kids? What do they think of me? Huh, do I do that there too? And then you start noticing it with myself. What's my tendency in the way I treat myself? And it's interesting. We spend so many times with people who dominate themselves. And that domination to themselves leads to abdication. You get in to go, what would it look like to liberate yourself, to support yourself, and to challenge yourself? 
So there's all types of dynamics at play. And we start taking leadership and go into the sinew and the marrow of a person. And it starts to change the way they, they think. And they become intentional, not accidental. I hear you. Well, so now, Jeremy, I'm sure there's a lot of, of art in the, the details of the implementation of, of challenging and supporting effectively. I, I could think of some good ways to challenge and some good ways to support and some bad ways to challenge and to support. So uh, it's a whole nother two by two, I guess. Watch out for consultants and their matrices. But, <laughs> so maybe could you give us some perspectives in terms of, I don't know, maybe... It, Tips, tricks, scripts, counterintuitive tidbits in terms of here's how you challenge really well, or here's what not to do when you challenge, and here's how you support really well and what not to do when you support. Yeah, so a couple of things. One is you have to understand your own tendencies and patterns first, because we always, here's a tip, support first before challenge. All right. If people don't know that you're for them, they won't receive your challenge very well. That's number one. Number two you need to use objective language, not subjective language. That's why we've created the 100x leader book because it's filled full of visual tools and little axioms that you can use. So for, for instance, if I said this to you, Pete, subjectively, you know, Pete, we've been working together for a long time and you know, you're a good guy. I just need you to step it up. <laughs> I need you to get to the next level. Just from a leadership perspective, are we clear? Are we good? right? <laughs> no, Jeremy, we're not at all. <laughs> <laughs> but do you see where I'm, where I'm going? And so a lot of people, that's what they get. Versus if I said this, hey, Pete, we've been working together a long time. I so appreciate you. Here's what I've noticed I'm observing. You know the support challenge matrix, right? Mm -hmm. Then I pull it out and I use that as the buffer. So I'm not the bad guy. The support challenge matrix is a mirror that's in the book. It's, it's right there. You can visualize it. And I go, sometimes you have a tendency to be up here in this upper left corner. You bring a lot of support to your people. They know you're for them, but you're leaving expectations out. And sometimes you turn into Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and you don't share your expectations. And then you kind of blow up a little bit, and then they feel like you went to domination. And so to be consistent would be the place I'd coach you at. So I'd like for you to consistently share your expectations with people. And I want you to practice that. Pick so-and-so, tell them what you expect. What are you looking for? Dot, dot, dot. Now I've given you objective language. You don't feel like I'm nagging you or giving you challenge you don't know what to do with it. I'm challenging you, but I'm providing enough support through objective language. Does that help? I hear you. So so you're pinpointing the the specific observation there. And I guess if we had some more time and experience with each other, you could get even even more precise. In terms of Susie had no idea that you wanted ABC, uh, when in fact that was very important to you. <laughs> and you were pretty cheesed off when things didn't go as planned. That's right. So that's cool. But So, hey, do you have any additional perspectives in terms of how to support well and, and challenge well? Yeah. Here's another. It's a small axiom, but we find these axioms stay in people's minds. And uh, like, I'm a big fan of Harvard. I love academics. I'm a big fan of just, you know, Stanford and just the different reports. But those reports do not transfer very well. They don't scale because they're case studies. They're too complicated. So we give little axioms. Here's an axiom that I know. Pete, I want you to learn, or let's just say to all the listeners, everyone listening, I want you to learn how to call people up, not out. Call people up, not out. That means basically that they know that you're for them. You're going to basically call them up to who they are, not call them out on what they did. So an example of that with my kids, it works great with kids. It works great with teammates. 
my daughter, she real quick story. She was, uh, she just told me that she wanted to be a leader at the beginning of this year. She's a junior in high school. I want to be one of the leaders of our school. And I think uh, I can add a lot of value. I'm like, okay, how are you going to do that? Well, then a week later, some of our best friends call us and they found a video on their nest uh, video from their front door that our daughter had toilet papered them. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> All of a sudden, what I wanted to say, I wanted to call her out. And my calling out was, are you kidding me? What are you thinking? These are our best friends. How could you, this I mean, on one it's toilet paper. It's not that big a deal. But what I did as I was using our own medicine to go, no, 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 call her up. Kate, hun, you told me that you wanted to be a leader. Like, this is who you are. What happened? So I allowed herself to call herself out and I called her up and I gave her an opportunity to go, dad, I'm so sorry. That's not who I want to be. You're right. I told you this. I get it. It was a mistake. A little bit of peer pressure. Yeah, thanks. I get it. If I'm always calling people out, every time I'm around them, it's kind of dominating. I'm challenging them with not much support. If I'm calling them up, I'm giving them a roadmap to get to that level. It's a simple little axiom. And it reinforces their identity such that they can do some self-service there. We don't need you to always be the person calling them out. If you are calling them up, the identity is more rooted and becomes sort of like the thing that does the self-policing. That's right. Exactly. That's cool. Well, hey, that's a fun axiom. Give us some more, please. Yeah. So when you think of it, we go, expectations are another one to go. Most people don't realize that they have expectations. So we created a simple little, uh, it's on page 123. It's a little tool and it's just managing expectations. And it's an expectation scale to go, it should be right in the middle, realistic. At, if you go north, it goes unrealistic and then it goes to impossible. If you go down, there's limited and then resigned. So part of the issue with leadership is that we have expectations that we don't share and unmet expectations produce bitterness. And so if you don't share expectations, it's not really fair. So a lot of judgment takes place and a lot of subjective, a lot of drama happens because people just aren't sharing their expectations appropriately. Yeah. So we, we basically teach how to do that. The secret to developing others really is really you getting really clear on your expectations about their development. And a quick story on that. We're just launching something called Giant TV. And it's the idea of it's almost edutainment. It's like Netflix for leadership. Okay. But it's not just videos. It's like uh, $9 a month, really inexpensive, but it's a way for people to engage in development and growth. Well, our team is very, very young in putting this together. So I just said, you know what? I'm going to open source this. One of our tools is called Developing Others. It's basically using Maslow's Square and some other work on unconscious incompetence, conscious incompetence, you know, just all the way through the process. So I basically said, guys, here we go. Giant TV, when we were developing this last summer, we're unconsciously incompetent. I am too. We don't know what we don't know. Well, we had all these ideas and then we started doing them and we quickly got to conscious incompetence. And me sharing expectations, I said, this is what winning looks like. If we can get 5,000 people on giant TV by this next summer, we'll have won. That's the expectation. But I'm consciously incompetent. I thought I knew what we were doing. And so by me opening and sharing this out loud, it enabled our team to not worry about me and me as a leader i could be a 
a liberating leader because I was basically showing them. But along the way, one of our guys, Jake, I said, Jake, do you realize you're in conscious incompetence here? Do you see it? And conscious competence looks like this. This is what it means to be successful. So let's get you there and let's work out loud to do that. So this style of leadership, it gives language to people and it gives visual tools to take away any potential drama or any potential frustration where I might be frustrated with an employee and then start working around them and then complaining about them and ultimately having to let someone go. Instead, we openly talked about where we're clueless. That's what a 100x leader would do. Yeah. No, I, I hear you there. And so I'm intrigued with this, the scale of the expectations going from resigned to limited to realistic to unrealistic to impossible. How do you utilize that? So I think, hey, what are my expectations? And then I just list them out and then I kind of put them on the scale. Like, oh, I guess it turns out that's an impossible expectation. Okay, let's play. So all the listeners take two, let's take three of the most important people in your life and or your job, okay? So let's say maybe there's a spouse, okay? My wife, Kelly, and that's one. Let's pick one of my kids and let's pick one of my teammates. No, the other kids like, oh. <laughs> uh, they're probably like, good, I'm not there. So then what I'm doing is that I'm looking at that role and I'm looking at the relationship and the responsibilities in those roles. So uh, in fact, let me take my wife out. It'd be even harder. Let's just start with one of my teammates. And I'm going to say Mike. Mike leads our enterprise systems. I have a general expectation of what I think Mike can do and what our business can do. Is it realistic? Well, I talk it out loud. He talks his vision out loud. We see, is our vision match up? It does. Is it realistic? We both feel that it is. We get outside counsel at benchmarking. We're in the right ballpark. You know what? I think we're on the same page for the vision. Now we got to make it happen. Now in six months, if we're not meeting the vision or meeting those, those goals and he's, he knows they were realistic, then that's an opportunity to grow. We've got to tweak something, work on something, but I'm openly talking about those expectations. So at any time he knows where I stand. And I think that's the key. Most people don't know where their boss stands. They get a lot of hints or they get a lot of grunts, but they don't get a lot of like, tell me exactly what you expect to happen. Now, some of the expectations by some of us are impossible. Like, no one can do that. If you benchmark that, it's impossible. So, so uh, I find this is interesting. I find a lot of bosses, a lot of leaders, they think that they're motivating by putting this massive goal out there. But inside, and maybe to a few of their colleagues, they're saying, you know what, if they get half of that, I'll be happy. But what happens is it's actually, it's not motivational because the person's going, these are impossible. I'm not going to make it. I better start looking for another job. And so they check out. Oh yeah. The half their time is spent, you know, on Indeed and LinkedIn. and <laughs> Yeah. And so then it's a self-fulfilling prophecy because this boss is sharing this big goal going, I'll be happy with half of it. The other person's like, there's no way we can do it. That's impossible. Then they check out and go look for someone else. And then the boss goes, yeah, this guy's not making it. You can't find good help these days, can you? And that goes on and on and on. So we're basically saying, look, if you're a leader, you're a Sherpa. Your job is to get the person you're leading to the next level. Well, that means they need to know that you're for them, that you have to fight for their highest good, that you are giving them the right support and challenge based on what they need at the moment. 
And then you show them what's undermining their influence and you work together to get to the next level. And I've been interviewing Sherpa after Sherpa on Mount Everest and that's what they do. They basically, it's not about how many times they've climbed the mountain. The Sherpa is fully acclimated because they, they're born at that level. So they can go up and down, but their job is to get that person to the next level. That's what a hundred X leader does. Yeah. I really dig that in, in terms of these tools and, and axioms and, and getting there. And, and it's cool that you I respect that you did your homework. You talked to real Sherpas. <laughs> oh yeah. As opposed to, Hey, that sounds like a cool metaphor. We'll leave it at that. Oh, yeah. Uh, I've been interviewing them on base camp and I've been talking to climbers who've been climbing at 8,000 meter peaks and they will tell you that there's no way I could have done it without Fenuru or with no way I could have done it without so-and-so, the Sherpa. And it's just that that is the idea. So their appreciation for the Sherpa is amazing. And they also go, wow, it's so much different for me thinking about being a Sherpa to another climber. Because those are different skills. And I'm convinced of it in our service, in our free agent world. We've not been training people on leading as a Sherpa. We've mainly been training people to get to the top. Okay, great. You made it to the top. Good for you. But your job is to take these people up the mountain, not just to get up yourself. And so it's a different dynamic. Yeah, that, that's that's powerful. So I, I want to hear about when it comes to the the expectation. A part of it's just like, all right, you sit down, you say, "Here's mine. What's yours?" You, you check it with a third party. You feel good. We we have a, a handy little you know five part uh, categorization for them, and in the process, we we get them out in the open. Could you maybe catalog or or, or prompt or tease? What are some key expectations that? Um, really need to get talked about that often don't get talked about? Yeah. If it's work, it's going to be around what is success? What does it mean to win? And I, that's not talked about enough. How do I win? How does our team win? And how does the organization win? And are expectations aligned there? But even to uh, take it down to kids, how do we win? What does winning look like to the family dynamic? To the spouse, what does winning look like? to friends, to personally, what does winning look like? So I have an example. <laughs> this is going to be funny, but we have uh, an event we just did in Cancun. It was a, a marriage retreat for our clients and they bring their spouses to learn our language. And it's really powerful. 40 couples. And I'm taking my shirt off and I had lost some weight. There you go. I lost some weight, Pete, but <laughs> I, I wasn't, let's just say I'm not buff, but I'm definitely better than I was the year before. But I all of a sudden looked and go, you know what? I want to be, I want to have actually some muscles. I want to at least see one or two pack of muscle, not six packs is unrealistic, but is that an impossible goal or is it realistic between now and next February? I think it's realistic. What am I going to do now? What's my plan? What's my team? My point is I had expectations of myself. Historically, I've had expectations of myself on weight or health. And I've not met them and I've dominated myself. I'm listing my expectations by asking, what does it mean to win and buy, buy win? And so there's a date with that. Well, the same is with people. And I just don't think there's enough. I think we're just so accidental and we wake up. Most people wake up and just do their thing and they don't think about this stuff. And so I think if anything, the 100X Leader book uh, prompts people to be intentional and think about things they've never thought about but it also gives them tools to do something about it right then 
and you'll see change happen right then. You don't have to like wait for nine months or, you know, this is a, a, you can teach the support challenge matrix and you know this as well as I do. When you teach something, you learn. So by teaching it to other people, you'll start learning. That's good. Yeah. I'm loving this. What a success for the individual, for the team, for the organization. Could you share a couple more critical expectations that really need to be spelled out? Yeah. And I'll give you an example. I have one guy who he's gone from about 70, maybe 60% healthy and a little bit of a negative to about 90 X right now. And it's a journey and a process. And I've just used the tools to show him what it was like to be on the other side of himself. And he realized he had unrealistic expectations for most people in his life. And they mainly came out of insecurity. And I'm like, why do you keep having these? Where is this coming from? And he's basically, it goes into the law of self-preservation. I ask these hard questions. What are you trying to prove? What are you afraid of losing? And what are you trying to hide? And when I asked that question, because um, I'm a confidant to him, he trusts me that I'm for him. Unbelievable amount of things started to come out. He's trying to prove himself to a dad that he doesn't like. He's trying to prove himself to an industry uh, because he feels like his title means that he should produce at a level. He's got a few things in his life that he was afraid of losing. And so he was overcompensating through some arrogance point is, is all of that led to unrealistic expectations that got put on his team because he wanted to be seen as the guy and in the industry and his family, blah, blah, blah. And we're like, do you see how this is affecting you? You're not healthy and your team's not very healthy and they don't necessarily want to work for you. They kind of have to work for you because they all need jobs and they're, it's not bad enough that they're looking for jobs, but it just kind of is. And that aha about a year ago got him to the place of like, hey, I want to I want to get the next level. What do I need to do? So we spent nine months working on him. It wasn't about them. It was him. So I got a little letter from them about two weeks ago. The letter came from his senior leadership team. And it basically was like, what have you done with him? We thought he had cancer or that he was leaving. He's changed. It was transformation because he decided to be intentional and he decided to do something about it. But he really went after his insecurity. And I was helping him through this process figure out how he'd been dominating himself all because of this insecurity and the self-preservation. Well, that's really intriguing insight that I guess you get from lots of experience is that real big expectations that are dominating can often be caused by some of the stuff in terms of what are you trying to prove? What are you afraid of losing? And what are you trying to hide? That's some sophisticated human insight, Jeremy. Uh, Can you give you one more before we hear some of your favorite things? Yeah. So what happened then in that is I helped him understand culture and that leaders define culture. And so if he really, really wanted to have a legacy, if he wanted to be someone worth following, then he's going to have to learn how to get past plus into multiplication. And it's radically affected that. So The metaphor we use there is a greenhouse and going a great leader, a healthy leader is like a good gardener. They're looking at and their people are like plants and that plant needs water and sunlight and soil. So an employee needs vision, encouragement and time. So you can't give what you don't possess. So in essence, what I was trying to do is show, look, you have all of these subcultures underneath you and your team. You have to be healthy to produce a greenhouse, a positive greenhouse, not a toxic greenhouse. So the positive greenhouse, that's a liberating culture of empowerment and growth and opportunity. But that only means when you're healthy. 
So that's what's cascading down into the organization. So for anyone listening to go, you start with the idea of what's it like to be on the other side of myself? What's my tendency for myself? Am I dominating myself? What's my tendency and what are my patterns? And what are the actions and what consequences do those lead to that are shaping my reality? And if you want to change, then you change with support. Am I providing too low support? Am I providing too much challenge? How do I calibrate that with myself? What about my family? What about my team? And so on and so forth. And that's a holistic, because you think about life today. Today, everyone is a holistic. People don't compartmentalize like they used to do. So life affects us differently because of social media and you know everything else. So we want holistically you to be thinking about being a 100x leader in every circle of influence. And that only happens by being intentional, which then leads to consistency. Good stuff, Jeremy. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote, something you found inspiring? Yeah, the phrase that, I, that I've used is, you can't give what you don't possess. But the positive of that is, you give what you possess. And I have a philosophy of, you know, give it all away. So giving yourself away for the benefit of others is just kind of a motif or a way that I've chosen to live. And so that's the phrase I use. It's not necessarily an author said by so-and-so, but it's the, the phrase that is kind of an inspiration for me. And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? I love the study, the Project Aristotle that came from Google re- recently that talked about teams and team culture. And it basically surmised that the best teams in the world have psychological safety which means we have the ability to talk about things. It meant to me support and challenge works because if I can challenge appropriately and you're not going to get your feelings hurt, but if I've created a culture where we can both support and challenge, we can get more done. And so I just appreciated the research they did. That's good. Thank you. And how about a favorite book? Favorite book is a book by Chris Lowney called Heroic Leadership. And it's the understanding of, it's basically looking at the history of the Jesuits And how in the world in the 1500s did the Jesuits build the largest organization, which is basically the education world and the influence that a bunch of ragtag Jesuits had. And it's unbelievable read, very inspiring. We based our business off of that book. And it's really affected the way that we think about uh, multiplication. And how about a favorite tool? Something that helps you be awesome at your job. Uh, well, the favorite tool is going to be the support challenge matrix. Actually, I, I probably would say for, for me, the tool of the liberating others tool is when I'm looking at people, am I fighting for their highest possible good? Do they need more support or challenge right now? What's undermining their influence? And do I have the guts to show them that to get them to the next level? I think that's why people want me to be around them. And want us as an organization to be around them is because we have the guts to help them get to the next level. And it's that combination. It's like this desire to fight and to serve. And I just love that tool and that concept. And that's a great turn of a phrase. Do you have the guts to show them? And it phrases it such that the, the challenge is internal. Not, oh my gosh, how are they going to react? But rather, are you going to rise to this challenge and, and do what's right? <laughs> that's right. That's cool. No, that's it. And how about a favorite habit? A favorite habit is I have a kind of a, a normal flow. And my habit is shower in the morning is I basically, when I turn the shower on, I go after any negative thought. And the shower is like the cleansing. And I go, what is the negative thought? Or what's the thought that is not right that I don't need to trust. And so that shower metaphor and symbol is I'm trying to cleanse my mind of the wrong thinking. 
So that's my habit. And I use the symbol of the shower to do that. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? The best way to do that is if you wanted to go to uh, giantspeakers.com, that's an easy one. Uh, Or they could go to giant.tv. And those would be the, the easiest places to learn more about us. And do you have a final challenge or a call to action for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? The final challenge would be simply explore what life might look like if you were more intentional in every circle of influence. Picture that you have a dimmer switch on your back. At the bottom, it's accidental. At the top, it's intentional. What would it look like if you move that lever all the way to the top? Jeremy, this has been a treat. Thanks so much for taking the time. I wish you and the 100X leader and giant uh, all the luck in the world. Thanks so much, Pete. Sure appreciate it. Jeremy had so much good stuff to share, but I think the part that's resonated the most for me is when it comes to expectations in terms of, we got these expectations, but we haven't shared those expectations. Those expectations are then not met, and then that produces bitterness because we're angry that they had not been met, but that's not really fair because you haven't talked about them. And so it's really helpful to really get those out in the open, be explicit, and you may discover you're on completely different planets or you got some crazy unrealistic things or maybe you're under-expecting and you could really crank it up a little bit. So having those conversations is huge. It reminds me of one of our favorite episodes that's in the intro series, ABCDEF, with Mary Abajay, Managing Up, Managing Your Manager. So huge to have those conversations about what is winning here. Good stuff from Jeremy. I uh, think this is worth another listen and some deeper reflection. And again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F424. If you haven't already, I hope you'll push subscribe. You'll hear from Case Kenny. Case is a fun dude. He's got a podcast called New Mindset Who Dis. He is a openly admittedly brotastic kind of a guy with lots of selfies on Instagram, but he has a really cool perspective on a couple of things. And I think it's fun to hear from all of them. So good stuff from Case Kenny of New Mindset Who Dis on the next one. Hope to catch you there. Peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.